Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I just want to welcome you. This podcast is specifically going to lead up to Easter. Now, they're going to be a little shorter than normal, but I want to be able to cover a lot more through this series. Now, there are going to be some things that I'm going to uncover and talk about that are probably not tasteful to some, but that doesn't that's not something I'm worried about. There are some truths that I uncovered when studying Passover. I thought it was going to be happy, but it's not happy. It's not the, you know, the Easter bunny and little baby chickens and the eggs and the pastel colors and the green grass and and all that stuff. I just didn't find that. And so this is a American tradition that I think we celebrate, which covers some things that probably don't want to be uncovered or people don't want it to be uncovered. But it's important that we know. And I have been listening to different commentators on Passover, um, Jewish and non-Jewish, and, and, and reading the in Exodus um, chapter um, 10, 11, 12, and 13 for myself. And so that you can get an idea of what you know, you're putting things together, the more information that you have on it, the, the better you can make a conclusion. And so one of the things that it led me to was the Nicene and post-Nicene fathers. Now, it is a library. I found it on the internet. It's it's some kind of a library, and, and I don't really care to know much more about it other than the fact because of what I've read in here. It's not really, I'm not really interested but what I have read is is definitely concerning and the origins of modern-day Orthodox Christianity. So this is what concerns me the most because I've been raised to believe a lot of different things as an American and then also as a Christian. So what I have read is in this, or is on this website, and it says here, chapter 4, the epistle of the Emperor Constantine concerning the matters transacted at the council, addressed to those bishops who were not present. It's a little long, but I want you to, to try your best to try to bear with me and listen to what it has to say, because I think I I don't want to take it out of context, so I do I do want to read the whole thing, or most of it, or at least to the place where I think it's necessary to stop. But this way you can get an idea of what was being said here by Constantine himself. So I may make a few mistakes here, but just bear with me. Viewing the common public prosperity enjoyed at this moment as the result of the great power of divine grace, I am desirous above all things that the blessed members of the Catholic Church should be preserved in one faith, in sincere love, and in one form of religion towards Almighty God. But since no firmer or more effective measure could be adopted to secure this end than that of submitting everything related to our most holy religion to the examination of all, or most of all, the bishops, I convened as many of them as possible and took my seat among them as one of you yourselves. For I would not deny that truth which is the source of my greatest joy, namely that I am your fellow servant. 
every point obtained its due investigation until the doctrine pleasing to the all-seeing God and conducive to unity was made clear, so that no room should remain for division or controversy concerning the faith. The commemoration of the most sacred paschal or paschal feast being then debated, it was unanimously decided that it would be well that it should be everywhere celebrated upon the same day. What can be more fair or more seemly than that, that festival by which we have received the hope of immortality should be carefully celebrated by all on plain grounds with the same order and exactitude? It was, in the first place, declared improper to follow the custom of the Jews in the celebration of this holy festival, because their hands have been stained with crime the minds of these wretched men are necessarily blinded. By rejecting their customs, we establish and hand down to succeeding ages one which is more reasonable, and which has been observed ever since the day of our Lord's sufferings. Let us then have nothing in common with the Jews, who are our adversaries. For we have received from our Savior another way, a better and more lawful line of conduct, is inculcated by our holy religion. Let us with one accord walk therein, my much-honored brethren, studiously avoiding all contact with that evil way. They boast that without their instructions we should be unable to commemorate the festival properly. This is the highest pitch of absurdity, for how can they entertain right views on any point who, after having compassed the death of our Lord, being out of their minds, are guided not by sound reason, but by an unrestrained passion, wherever their innate madness carries them. Hence it follows that they have so far lost sight of truth, wandering as far as possible from correct revisal, that they celebrate a second Passover in the same year. What motive can we have for following those who are thus confessedly unsound and in dire error. For we could never tolerate celebrating the Passover twice in one year. But even if all these facts did not exist, your own sagacity would prompt you to watch with diligence and with prayer, lest your pure minds should appear to share in the customs of a people so utterly depraved. It must also be borne in mind that upon so important a point as the celebration of a feast of such sanctity, discord is wrong. One day has our Savior set apart for a commemoration of our deliverance, namely of his most holy passion. One hath he wished his Catholic Church to be, whereof the members, though dispersed throughout the most various parts of the world, are yet nourished by one spirit, that is, by the divine will. Now I'm going to stop reading because it just keeps going on and I think he likes hearing himself talk. It is apparent that Constantine as an emperor, and pretty much he has politicized Christianity at this point. He has made the church a some, something that he 
desires to rule over as well. And I can tell you right here and now, just by the way he is talking, he is not educated in anything Old Testament, anything that is Hebrew. He rejects the whole thing. But it is, I think, it's comical for anybody, including Constantine, to take Christianity as it's a complete separate entity. And that's absolutely false. The first church after Jesus' passion in the book of Acts was primarily Jewish. Now, isn't that a little ironic? And for them to separate themselves from the Jews is saying that snow is not cold or rain is not wet. This is absurd. This is something that I find very distasteful, something that I just cannot understand how anybody can draw that conclusion. When you have the apostles in the book of Acts, you have the the disciples, the ones that were given the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and there are a succession of these feasts and holidays uh, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and all this had taken place. Now, it's very important that they took place on the on this specific time and in the timeline that God has made it to be. This is something that he has allowed. Now, for anybody to say that Christianity has nothing to do with Judaism, this is something that I, I can't understand how anybody could actually say that. And how you could separate Judaism from Christianity, you might as well not even open up the Bible and create something completely different. Now, there are religions that have done this, that have come, you know, four to six hundred years after Christianity, and then up to almost in our time in the 1800s here in the United States. So there, there are things where this actually happens, and to be able to take away from Judaism and then say Christianity is completely separate. This is where the problem lies. This is where people feel justified in their bias against a certain group of people who worship a certain way, when in fact it's actually the way that Jesus was worshiping. Jesus attended all the feasts that we read through the Gospels. He attended uh, Sukkot, uh, where you they commemorate the uh, the being the Jews in the desert when they were uh, released from Egypt and how they were in the desert uh, for those forty years and they would build uh, the Jews even still today they celebrate that there's um, Pentecost there's all these things that that it mentions in the four Gospels that Jesus was there you cannot separate Jesus from being Jew. You can't, because if you do, you wind up having a completely different belief system. Now, I don't think people really like the fact that Jesus was Jewish. That's why you have all these paintings and all these renditions of his appearance being uh, Eurocentric, and that's absolutely false. The fact that, as we read in the Gospels, when Judas went to go kiss him, they didn't recognize who he was. They didn't have any idea who he was, so they had to go up and kiss him, and then they identified him that way. It just goes to show you that Jesus had a common look amongst his brethren, the Jews. So there are so many different things that you need to kind of use your head, use it more than a hat rack, and think about what you what what certain bias that people have told you or what you actually believe about Judaism. 
as if it's separate from Christianity. It's not. I have been raised reading the King James Version, and that's pretty much what I've how I study. Uh, up till recent times, I now use the the New King James Version, and I, I parallel it with the complete Jewish Bible and other uh, translations as well to help me understand it in a more Jewish way. This is important because the terminology and the scripture references to the Old Testament is very, very important to know. Otherwise, I've said this before, that when you're reading the New Testament, it's really like eavesdropping when you hear somebody talk about the Old Testament. Now, one issue I have with the King James Version is in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. It reads, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, that word Easter is a mistranslation, big time. Now, in the New King James Version, it reads, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So we have some issues going on here, and it is directly suspicious to me and how the wordage is changed in the King James Version. That is something that I didn't want to know. I I didn't want to find out, but this is the truth about it. Now, I'm not saying that the King James Version has these types of errors in it, like all the way through. But you have to be careful in what you read and, and exactly what you teach. This is why I believe now is a good time to do your studies and not just be a King James only person, that you want to be able to read different translations of this complete story. Now, in the New Testament, it is like two-thirds of the story has already passed, which is in the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. Now, the New Testament, like I said, if you read the New Testament, you have no idea what Jesus is referencing, I would say specifically if you're not a Jew. The references that he talks about is primarily about the Hebrew Bible. He talks to people as if they already know. We read it in some kind of way as like, this is so archaic or I don't understand it. You know, it's maybe just something that Jesus talked about. Really, it's just our misunderstanding or having no knowledge of the customs of the Jews. This is very important to understand what Jesus says, because he quotes so much from the Torah, quotes so much from the, the writings and also the prophets. This is very important for us to know. But instead, I think it's so difficult for people to teach that or to preach about it or to give those types of messages It's almost like you have to be at a scholar level. Absolutely not. God would not give us something that even the child or children, the children couldn't understand. So we're not children. We're full-grown adults. We just don't make the time to study. Now, for those who don't know, and I'm going to assume a lot, that if you have not read the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I suggest that you read Genesis for sure, because that's the beginning. But what I'm really referring to here is the meat of the story of the New Testament 
is found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I counted up to eight times that Jesus referenced the book of Genesis. Now, there's a lot more, but I counted that because I think eight is a is a really good round number for people to understand that I can pull a lot more out that Jesus actually referred to the book of Genesis and the creation, the beginning about Adam and the the serpent and such. There's a lot of things that he referenced about God and in the beginning. So, but in the book of Exodus is where Moses comes into the picture. And let me just go through a brief step-by-step overview. In Exodus chapter 1, Israel's suffering in Egypt. Chapter 2, Moses is born. Moses flees to Midian. Chapter 3, Moses at the burning bush. Chapter 4, Miraculous Signs for Pharaoh, Moses Goes to Egypt. Chapter 5, First Encounter with Pharaoh, Israel's Deliverance. Chapter 6, The Family of Moses and Aaron. Chapter 7, Aaron's Miraculous Rod, the First Plague. Chapter 8, The Second Plague, Frogs. Third Plague, Lice. And it goes on. Chapter 10, the eighth plague, locust, ninth plague, darkness. And so chapter 11, it says, death of the firstborn announced. So this is how the progression of that went. So I would suggest that you read the first 10 chapters of the book of Exodus so you can understand why there's Passover. This is very important to know. Chapter 11, death of the firstborn announced. Now, this is very interesting because there really is no restriction of which firstborn. It actually was all firstborn of everything, even the animals. They all died if they did not have, well, what I want to explain to you. I don't go too far into it yet, but this is pretty much what happened. Now, I hope that you go back and read the first 11 chapters of the book of Exodus because otherwise... Listening to this podcast is not going to help you at all. I really don't want to do your study for you. I do want to inform you, but I also want you to be educated. That's what I do. I try to help people. But trying to talk to people and give them the short answer just to give them what they want to hear, I just don't do that. If you really are interested in in who God is and, and why there's a Passover and the whole point of it, you will read. Now I'm going to read Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of for the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts 
and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Now I'm going to stop there, and for good reason. I may pick up on the next podcast and reading the rest of Exodus chapter 12. But the reason why I want to stop is because I want to make a point. And one of the point is, is that God himself, I'm going to say that again, God himself said that the Jews will do this as a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, when I read that, it doesn't take long to conclude that God wants this to happen over and over through every generation for his people to remind them who they are and who their God is. To continue to do this 
as death passed over. And no ruler, no government, no politics, no religiosity can change that. There's a lot more to be said, but this is my opening podcast to this subject. This is Pastor Frank, Frank's Bible Study. Amen.